Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning, once again, to the Apostle Paul's letter written to the Galatians, where we will be looking together at verses 19 and 31 of chapter 4. That's Galatians chapter 4, 19 through 31. You can find that passage on page 1144 in your pew Bibles. Over the last several weeks now, we have been following Paul's argument that the Galatians and really all of those who possess real or genuine faith are all heirs together of the promise that was made to Abraham and his seed. They were no longer slaves to the law. They were no longer minors who had been placed in the care of a tutor or a guardian until they reached the age of, or the coming of age that had been set by the Father. They were indeed the legitimate sons and daughters of the Most High God. And if they were sons and daughters, then of course they were heirs. They had a full claim to the inheritance, which was, of course, Jesus Christ and his righteousness and every eternal blessing in him. Through faith, they had trusted God. They had taken him at his word, and they, like believing Abraham, were now counted as perfectly righteous because of faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in them, the gift of God, embracing Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross for them. I've mentioned to you before how the Apostle Paul is sort of painting a masterpiece here. And every week we see him add yet another dimension to his overall argument that sinful man is justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone solely because of the grace of Almighty God alone. Last week, we saw that Paul reminded the Galatians that they had, in going back to the law for their comfort, returned, in a sense, to idolatry. Worshiping God on their own terms. Defining God with their own definitions. And now, seeking to be justified by God, according to their own version of the law, They now were actively looking to somehow appease God through their own abilities and through their own at least perceived strengths. What they had accomplished was simply to recreate God in their own image. One whom they could approach on their own terms. One who would withhold his wrathful judgment when he looked upon all of their wonderful works. God created in their image rather than understanding that they were but creatures and they were to be worshiping the creator in the way which he himself had prescribed for them. It was idolatry. And Paul lovingly called upon them to repent and again to remember the past when he had been with them. Paul said that though he was feeble and weak, Though there was nothing at all impressive about his appearance, though the the trials and the tribulations that came along with his living out his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ had utterly decimated his appearance. 
They heard the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ from him. And they embraced Paul as an angel of God, even as Christ himself. It is a picture of the miraculous nature of our salvation. The abundance of mercy and grace that the man or the woman of faith encounters when they are justified by God himself. Beloved in Christ, I pray that it still fills us with hope. And it still floods our very beings with the peace that truly passes all understanding when we hear it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed the most glorious story on earth. It is the greatest story ever told. And we absolutely must get this story right. We must fight for the purity of this message with all of the energy that we can muster. We need to approach it truly as a matter of life and death and chase away from the fold all of those who teach that salvation comes in any other way. Paul staked his very life on that kind of defense against those who would dare to promote a gospel that was in fact no gospel at all. Those who would hold up the law as an idol and seek to reach peace with God through their own vain, useless, never-ending amounts of striving. I'd like you to look with me at this text this morning and I want to challenge you to think about your own life and the degree in which you find yourselves troubled or even offended when you hear those around you pervert this message and search your own heart to see if you too are guilty of the heinous sin of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and self-righteousness. So will you please follow along with me now in your Bibles as I read again from the Holy Word of God, Galatians chapter 4. Again, we'll pick up with verse 19 and read through the end of the chapter with verse 31. Hear now the word of our Lord. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children from whom I, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, 
are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful this morning to once again have the opportunity to come before your word. And so we come before it this morning, Father, asking that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the many, many things in this life that distract us. I pray that you would cause us to give our undivided attention to your word and that hearing that word through the power of the Spirit, we would be transformed by that word to live more and more for your glory and your glory alone. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. After a rather strong worded rebuke earlier in the chapter, we saw the Apostle Paul return to calling the Galatians his brothers in Christ. Remember, he referred to the Galatians as his brethren. In verse 11, Paul has already related to his flock as their father in the faith, and so we see him here relating to them as a mother does to her own precious child. A mother, when she's bringing a child into this world, is full of pain and anguish. But at the end of that labor, when the child is laid upon her chest, she quickly forgets the pain and she rejoices at the sight of a gift from God. A child to raise and nurture in the fear of the Lord. Her pain and her agony are fading memories. She lives in the joy of caring for and loving this new life, having a hand in bringing that child to maturity. Beloved, it's a picture that undoubtedly every mother that's here in the congregation this morning can certainly relate to. And the Apostle Paul is telling them that they are still young in the faith. They are still as little children. They are still immature. But he willingly labors among them until he sees that the time of their maturity has come. Giving birth to them again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Redirecting their attention again and again to the word of God. This is what a loving father and a loving mother does. And they endure all the pains of parenthood, all the while looking forward in hope to that day when maturity will in fact arrive. In the same way, Paul is enduring the pain of loving them. Looking to the day when Jesus Christ will be evident in them. You understand, it is a picture of parental love. And really, it should be a picture that is studied and understood by all 
who would dare to answer the call of being a leader in the church of Jesus Christ. It's a call to love, even though there are certainly times when the child, in that example, the church, is not all that lovely. This is the way that Paul shepherds the flock of God. And it should be an example to all of us who lead. As well as an example to all of us who would lead anyone. Right? It's an example to fathers and mothers on how to lead their children. Enduring the stuff that a fallen world can and will throw our way. All the while fixing our eyes on the prize of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for him formed in them. Paul says to them, I would like to be present with you now and change my tone, for I have doubts about you. It's heartbreaking, right? Paul again grabs their attention. He says that he wishes that he was there with them so that they could really feel the weight of his words. You know, one of the things about a written letter as a means of communication is that often the tone of the letter does not come across. Though in this case, I think the wording of this letter really doesn't allow too much liberty with regards to tone. We know that to be a general truth, right? A letter just does not do the same job of getting true emotion across as being there and communicating with somebody face to face. We understand this in our current day of age and current day and age of texting, right? Have you ever been accused of having a tone in a text that you never attended, intended? Or maybe you've suspected a tone being directed at you that was in fact never there. It's never guesswork in a face-to-face conversation. We can raise our voices and change the meaning of our words. I trust that most of our children understand that concept well, right? I'm afraid mine do. I wish they didn't. There is a tone that once it's heard, it probably strikes fear into the hearts of my children. They know they're now at the very end of my tolerance for nonsense when they hear a certain tone. And that's what Paul is telling the Galatians here. He says, I wish that I could be there in your physical presence speaking these words to you with my own voice. Face to face. So that you could feel the weight of my words and understand the seriousness of this situation. Then, of course, Paul follows with another rebuke, one final illustration just to further pry open their blinded eyes to the truth of their justification before God. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Okay, all of you who claim to want to be justified by the works of the law, have you not listened to what the law says? It condemns you. You cannot keep it, and it makes you its slave. 
Are you sure that you are listening? Do you really look to the holy, perfect, righteous law of Almighty God and like what you see in yourself? If you do, I can tell you that you are certainly not seeing your heart. And God wants our hearts, not our external sacrifices or even our pathetic works. Paul launches into his final allegory, allegory here of a child, the child of a slave woman and the child of the free woman. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Sounds like a good plan, right? I mean, what could possibly go wrong? So Abraham hearkens to the voice of his wife and he takes Sarah's servant as his own wife. And at the tender young age of 86 years old, Abraham in the promise. Verse 23, but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael through the ordinary working of the flesh. God did not command it. Abraham, acting only on the advice of his wife, went into her her servant and she bore him a son. But this son was not like the son of promise who was born to Sarah through a miracle of Almighty God when born. They cling to the external blessings of the law and they ignore the curse of the law. And they vainly think it enough to simply be the blessed offspring of Abraham. But only those who are of the promise are the heirs and will receive the full blessing of the promise of freedom through the Lord Jesus Christ, the long-awaited seed through whom the inheritance is secured. Paul goes on, he says, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than the one who has a husband. Paul quotes here the prophet Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 1, saying that the lawful sons of the church are born through promise. Paul reiterates it in verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. Paul, again and again in this epistle, points out not only the benefit of being a child of the promise, but he he continually calls upon those who have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ by faith to realize that they are indeed those very children. It is Glory. Because of it was made to leave the family of Abraham. They were cast out. The bondwoman and her son at the request of Sarah. 
And Abraham was very unsettled about it. But God came to him and he comforted him and he said, Abraham, listen to the voice of Sarah. I will do something with the bondwoman and her son. They will become a mighty nation. But it is with Isaac that your seed will be called. It is in Isaac, the son of promise, that my promise will come to fruition. And just as Ishmael, the son of the flesh, mocked Isaac, the son of the miraculous promise of Almighty God, even now, those who still cling to the law, those who still trust in their flesh, lash out at those who are free in the promise. Paul says in verse 31, Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the, of the bondwoman. But man then chose Jesus, making that circle of salvation complete. It took both Jesus and me to get justified. You had to have both parts of that equation to ever equal justification before God. Salvation was a synergistic work between a man and his God. And in that false economy, legalism always flourishes. Out of the gate, you have a man that does at least part of the work in securing his salvation. And I can remember Mick and myself sitting in my living room one night and both of us questioning the whole flawed system, finding it impossible to reconcile the theology of our church with the clear teaching of Scripture. And I remember one night Mick even calling me out for some legalism that he felt I was promoting and that I tried to justify my working before God. He just kept saying to me, Steve, listen to me. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Stop clinging to the law as your means of being accepted by God. Embrace the wonderful, radical promise of God through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Cast out that woman and her son. I can remember it annoying me to death. Bianca's laughing because she was there and she remembers I was annoyed. Can remember it annoying me, but I want to tell you he could not have been any more right. He was applying scripture in a way that he probably shouldn't have been able to at that early point in our Christian life. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. You are clinging to the flesh and the law for your inheritance. You are striving for the glory of your own flesh. You are striving for what is seen and tangible and for what you at least think can be done when what you truly need, what you so desperately need is to trust Almighty God alone to bring about the miraculous, to bring his own promise to fulfillment.
and praise Almighty God that though you have been known to strive and to wrangle and to doubt and connive and manipulate, though you consider yourself to actually be able to come to the aid of Almighty God from time to time, He in His unfathomable grace declares that despite your stiff neck, despite your rock hard head, you are the child of the free woman and her son and by the grace of Almighty God, you are an heir to the promise of God through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Will you praise God for the good news of the gospel? Will you run into the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ and live in the sweet freedom that he gives to you in him? Brothers and sisters in Christ, my question for you is, why on earth would you ever delay that 